Blog Talk Radio.
Y'all, a couple of little technical difficulties. Little Mike muted that we didn't realize was muted. Benny Hardy, Tay Brown, Catch Talk Wednesday, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. I do believe our first guest is on the line, and this is a little better late than never show because I'm on vacation and a little bit late. But uh, we should have our man Chris Walder coming to us from the six, from Toronto proper. Chris, man, welcome to the show. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing good, man. I'm I'm still uh, basking in that NBA championship over here. I, that's that's what I wanted to see, man. That's what I was wondering about. Been dying to get you on. I think we crossed paths back in the day, back when we both used to write for Bleacher Report, and you know, been following your tweets over all these seasons. Saw you riding the highs and lows this year, and just wanted to get that vibe from Toronto, man. So y'all, y'all still soaking it up and enjoying it. That's that's good. Well, we never know when something like this is going to happen again, right? Like everyone always calls Toronto such a hockey city, so a lot of people have been waiting for the Maple Leafs to end their Stanley Cup drought. 
But you know what? We're also a basketball town, and to see the outpouring of love for this team after they won the title, it was something to behold, man, and something I'm never going to forget. That is awesome. And I'm glad that – honestly, I'm glad you're still feeling that way. Even, you know, everybody was hoping Kawhi would stay, even though he went to the Clippers. I'm glad you're still enjoying what just happened, not, you know, ticked off about his decision and all that, soaking it up. And I was going to ask you, with Toronto winning the title, with the Raptors winning the title, with everybody loving hockey so much up there, does that put more pressure on the Maple Leafs and all the Canadian hockey teams to to bring the Stanley Cup back to Canada? Or does that kind of take pressure off of them because everybody's so excited about what the Raptors are doing, nobody's worried about the Stanley Cup right now? How does that affect them? The hockey diehards. Uh, well, I, I can't speak too much on that just because I'm not much of a hockey guy. But what I will say is, <laughs> you know, there's always been like that that push for the Maple Leafs to really get their act together. You know, they haven't won a cup since the late '60s, and even though the Raptors have won the NBA championship, I don't think that takes any pressure off of off of the Leafs to to finally go for the cup. I mean, they got John Tavares. Uh, I forget it was either last year or the year before, and they kind of have like a seven-year window to finally hoist the cup. So, But at the same time, I think a couple of the players have come out and said, you know, watching the Raptors uh, become champions has almost motivated them to go after the cup, seeing the parade in downtown Toronto, seeing all the fans wearing basketball jerseys and, and supporting the Raptors. I think they see that, and they're like, well, we want that for the Leafs. So uh, hopefully they can ride that momentum that the Raptors have created and uh, hoist the title for themselves. So we're, we're talking with Chris Walder. Follow him on Twitter at Walder Sports. Uh, he used to be with Bleacher Report. He used to be with TSN, also free agent right now. Where did you set up for the parade? You take the day off. Were you at the beginning? Were you there in the square where everybody was meeting? What was your parade plans, and how did you go about uh, approaching that day? Uh, honestly, I didn't even make it downtown that day for the parade. My theory was, like, there's going to be millions of people down there, and I didn't have a lot of faith in the city to kind of keep it together. And my worries came to fruition because, they didn't compensate for all of the people that were there. The parade was like three hours delayed. They were supposed to be there at Nathan Phillips Square, which is like the heart of downtown Toronto, at like 12.30, and they didn't get there until 3.30. So they were kind of like pushing all of these speeches, trying to get like everyone out of there in a quick and, and uh, reasonable manner. And then, uh, obviously, I don't know how much coverage it got in the States, but there was uh, – a shooting in the back of uh, the ceremony there. So a bunch of people were scrambling. It was very dangerous. Um, ultimately, though, it turned out to be a, a good day. A lot of people had a good time um, outside of the shooting. But um, to be down there in such a crowded atmosphere, it was uh, something I didn't really want to put myself through. Absolutely. And TV, man, I think I had a mic muted at first at the beginning. So I know you're on with us now. So how you doing? And, and bring you on in too, man. Apologize for all the little glitches. No, I'm I'm doing good, and I'm I'm glad we're we're still talking about Toronto. Uh, what I don't want to have happen is I know we've got NBA free agency, but I'm still a little old school. I I still want to talk about what happened on the court, right? Like we saw mm-hmm. Toronto play an incredible series 
And I know injury, injury is a part of it. I get that. But the, the Raptors played a, a great playoff to even get to the finals. You know, a play here, play there, they don't get past the Bucks. You know, they don't get past the Sixers. So what I like seeing from, from the outside looking in for Toronto was the fans really behind this team, really for the last, you know, five or six years. You know, the fans outside uh, there in Jurassic Park. So I was glad the, the Raptors fans got to, to fully embrace that. Well, we're so used to, like, the worst-case scenario happening with the Raptors. We're, like, coming off the last couple of years when we had to go against LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers and the way we exited the playoffs after having some really strong regular seasons. And we had a couple of moments like that during this postseason. Like, lest we forget, in the first round against a really game Orlando Magic squad, we lost to them on our home floor after that P.J. Augustine three, and we were down one nothing, and everyone was like, here we go again just going to be the same old story with these Raptors but lo and behold they string together four straight wins and we continue forward and then against a team like the Philadelphia 76ers you know obviously we can all remember that game winner in game seven with Kawhi Leonard but before that final shot you know it just kind of like there was that mood in the building where wow this is going to go to overtime after Jimmy Butler hit that transition bucket we're going to fall and we're going to be gone in the second round and then Kawhi is definitely gone at that point but then that shot bounces off the rim four times, and holy crap, we're in the Eastern Conference Finals against the best team in basketball. But then we're trailing 2 nothing to those guys. But, you know, Nick Nurse uh, made the adjustment to put Kawhi Leonard on Giannis Antetokounmpo, and then we won four straight against the team with the best regular season record before going up against the Golden State Warriors. So the narrative of the Raptors, like, seemingly choking at every which way in turn, like they have proven so many times before, that was eliminated as a result of having a top-tier superstar in Kawhi Leonard on the roster. And the move, too, for bringing in Mark Gasol and, and Valanciunas, who have been there a long time. And of course, Larry's the longest tenured guy. Valanciunas moving on. At the time, when it happened, what was the reaction to that? Was that everybody good with that? Or was, was there people who were like, oh, what, are we gonna, what are we doing right now? Well, it, it felt like a move that the team had to make. You know, Jonas was one of the longest tenured guys here, and he was certainly a fan favorite. But, you know, this was a one-year window, and there was no guarantee that Leonard was going to stick around. And now, you know, in hindsight, we know that he's out, out the door. But Marcus Gasol gave the Raptors a better chance to have success in the playoffs than Jonas would have, and that was apparent on the defensive end. Like, he shut down Vucevic in the first round. And Joel Embiid, even though he was sick and he was battling with his stomach issues or whatever, didn't wash his hands, Gasol had a lot of success against him as well. So we, weren't, we didn't necessarily need a lot of offense at the center position, and that's kind of like Jonas's bread and butter. But the defense that Gasol brought to the table, the Raptors aren't champions today without that. Mm, that's cool. Talking about Chris Walder, uh, formerly of the score. Bleach Report and Raptors HQ. Go ahead, TV. Man, I didn't mean to catch y'all. Well, I, I like to get. Uh, I'm on the outside looking in, but I watched. There was a, a documentary on Netflix about uh, Vince Carter and the Raptors, and it's really, really good. And I encourage people to watch it. But I remember when the Raptors came into fruition. You know, 20, 25 years ago, whatever it is now. Well, a lot of times, what we 
see are these sports leagues that just expand just to expand. You know, they just put a team anywhere and just hope that it works out. But what, from what I can see is the, the city of Toronto really embraced the Raptors kind of from day one. There are a lot of day one folks, you know, that were there, you know, during those lean, you know, those lean years with the dinosaur on the jersey and everything like that. So it's got to be really rewarding for those folks to see that, that long-time uh, payoff. Yes, I mean, speaking for myself, I've been a fan since day one. I've been watching the team since the days of when they were playing in the Sky Dome and they had like a little tapered-off section of the building to hold the basketball games, even though it was designed for baseball. And I actually previously worked for the team back in the day. When I got out of high school, I interned with the Toronto Raptors in their game operations department. So I was like one of those guys that was in the stands, I was throwing T-shirts to the fans. I was out on the court during timeouts and, and getting little, you know, games set up, doing stuff with the mascot. So I was there during some of, like, the really bad seasons. And I could tell you, just, like, from a firsthand experience, that building was always sold out. And I couldn't necessarily put my finger on why the fans were so supportive of a team that wasn't necessarily putting out a really stout on-court product. But it's just because Toronto has a taste for basketball and the stereotype that it's just a hockey town, like I stated before, is completely false. So it's nice to see the fans that have been there through the thick of it, that have seen the the Rafael Arujos and the Andrea Bargnani's of the world to come out of it in 2019 with an NBA championship, even if it's just a one-off and even if they're not going to be, if that that championship window is closed for the foreseeable future, no one can take that away from these fans and they certainly deserve it. And, and, what and the super fan, Nav, Nav, uh, had you had any interactions with him? Or I mean, he's been at every game for years. Like even outsiders know and see him sitting there, uh, and he's one of those day one guys. Had you ever had any interactions with him working there or in a, a media? I, I had a couple of interactions where fans? I was able to just talk. Yeah, I just had I've had a couple of interactions just talking with him briefly and I, I can say like he's one of the nicest guys there there are. Uh every time someone would want to approach him and ask a question or, or go for a picture, he was more than willing to say hi, smile for a photo, like this guy is as genuine as they come and I think he's a, a prime representative of of the Raptors fan base, you know, the the melting pot of a city that we are, the cultural diversity that there is. Uh, you know, I mean, throughout the postseason, there were some negative comments uh, with some racial undertones set on social media, which was very discouraging. But he took that all in stride, and, and he, he continued to be the positive human being that he is. And he's a, an incredible representative, representative of the franchise, you know, the country, the players love him. And, uh, yeah, he, he doesn't womanize. He rapturizes, as he always says. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. She has something else, TV. I think. No, no, I. You hear TV? The same thing. I was going. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I got Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. I know you touched on what I was was talking about with the with the super fans and everything like that, but I, I, again, it just seems like Toronto was just such a great fit versus what you saw in in Vancouver. You know, when both of those teams came in. <laughs> Uh, it's just like Toronto just 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 bought in, you know. It helped having some some good players early on, uh, but Toronto's always seemed like that, like the, the the a cool city, if you will. 
they haven't really been as terrible like the Knicks and some other long-term teams. They always seem to have really good players. And from what I can see on TV, the fans are always engaged. Even though they've had their heart broken, you know, a few years in a row, they're always right there. So uh, when the when the, the you know the buzzer sounded on the last game and there was that celebration, it was really great to see that. Oh man, I was I was watching it from my home that the final game against Golden State, and I shed like genuine tears. Like we've been through so much as a fan base over the years from from all of the the missed opportunities, having to go up against LeBron James so many times, and just watching our team get walloped by this guy. And then you know, albeit there were some injuries on Golden State's part, but that didn't take away from the moment. This was a long time coming and something that we're never going to forget. And when opening night comes next season and that banner is hoisted to the top of Scotiabank Arena, all of those emotions are going to start flowing in again, and we're going to be able to remember this incredible 2018-2019 campaign. And the one thing I like about what the Raptors have, what they did, is they had a, a very good team. But what you touched on earlier is they had this one year to kind of make it all work with Kawhi, you bring in Nick Nurse, you make some moves. What we see a lot of teams kind of reach that point where they're pretty good, you know, they make the conference finals, and they either, one, do nothing, or two, blow it all up. But we don't see too many teams be bold like Toronto and just say, we're going to go all in, push all of our chips to the table, and, and it paid off. And so what I'm hoping is we see more teams do that than start tanking. I think that was just the universe rewarding uh, Toronto for being bold uh, when most teams would have just stood pat or just kind of blown everything up. Well, it's incredibly difficult to win a championship first and foremost. That's why I only only see the same handful of teams hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the season. And I think the Raptors, regardless of of if they had made the trade for Kawhi Leonard or not, they were going to be entering a rebuilding mode uh, sooner rather than later. But they they told themselves – specifically Masai Ujiri, he said, hey, if this is our one shot to make this happen, go for a ring, just give us our best chance in years, we're going to go for it. And obviously, you know, firing the reigning NBA head coach of the year, which was a gutsy move on his part, and Dwayne Casey, and then removing the franchise cornerstone and DeMar DeRozan, someone who genuinely wanted to be here and someone who started his career here for a superstar, but someone who was just coming off a nine-game campaign where he was injured for most of the time and he had a falling out with the Spurs organization. You bring him in, and so many things had to go right, and I'm thankful that they did. You know, they did the whole load management with Leonard throughout the course of the season and then having some lucky breaks in the playoffs, you know, with the ball going through against Philadelphia and then, again, some of the injuries against the Warriors. You need to be good, but you also need to be lucky. And we're, all, we're obviously grateful that your jury made the moves that he did. And, again, if it's one-off, then it, was, it, was played out, it played out beautifully. And that one last question, too, with, with Chris Walter before I let you go. It seemed like to me the, uh, as soon as the confetti started to flow and the Raptors hadn't even got on the stage yet to get the trophy, you saw, I think, a Woj bomb saying that the Wizards were prepared to offer Masai Ujiri, who just mentioned it, the, uh, the GM, $10 million in this big, huge package to come, you know, have the same role with the Wizards and I think maybe even a part, a little bit of ownership, a stake of ownership in the team. 
I was like, man, let them celebrate. Let them enjoy this. And here comes Washington trying to just, you know, pilfer and, and get y'all's guy. Did y'all, did, did everybody's heart stop a little bit when you saw that? Or did you think he was going to, you know, accept the wizard position? Or you know, what was the thinking when that was going on before he decided to uh, stay? No, nah, man, I, I was never worried. I knew Masai wasn't going anywhere. Uh, obviously, the connection, I think I believe his wife is from the Maryland area, so that would have given him some incentive yeah. to go back. And that's a lot of money to turn down, obviously, and a stake in ownership is – no laughing matter. It's hard to turn your nose at that, but I just felt like with all of the time and effort he's put together in, in, in making this Raptor squad, and even with Leonard leaving, I think there's a lot of good things still in place that you can run with, and 2021, for example, when all of these star free agents come on the market again, a lot of rumors that Antetokounmpo uh, will be the prime target of the Raptors. There's still a lot of work to be done, and the Wizards are in a really rough spot, and Masai Ujiri is great at this job, but he's no miracle worker. True. That's very true. Man, Chris, I can't thank you enough for hopping on. Glad we finally worked it out to, to get you on the show with us and talk some Raptors. Um, we cover Kentucky, but we love the NBA as well, and uh, maybe closer to opening day or a little bit afterwards when that banner goes up, we can get you on again and, and get your thoughts on all that as well, man. Hey, man, sounds good to me. Thank you guys so much for having me, and uh, we'll definitely talk soon, okay? All right, thank man. you. Thanks so much, Chris. Chris Walder, formerly of Bleacher Report, The Score, um, Raptors HQ, does a great job covering all things Toronto, uh, tons of knowledge. We'll switch gears right quick. We got our next guest on the line fellow Harlan County and former Harlan County Black Bears point guard, current Eastern Kentucky Colonel Cameron Carmichael joins us right now. Man, Cam, it's been a little minute. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Man, can't complain. It's always good to talk to you. Um, how fast does time seem to be flying for you now that you're at EKU, like going into your junior year now, man? What's What's going on? Yeah, it, it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely flying. I was talking to one of my teammates who, who I came in with a couple of days ago about it. It's it's crazy that we're now technically over halfway done because we've started our summer workouts and stuff. So it's yeah, it's really flying by, really flying by. So how has the how has the summer been? Um, this is year two under your new coach A. W. Hamilton. How's the transition going and um, you guys will be more prepared as far as how he likes to do things now, second time around, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So last summer was, was his first summer with us, and he was introducing a completely different style of play, a completely different work ethic. And I think everybody on the team, including myself, it took a little bit of getting used to um, with the new conditioning style and the new up-tempo pace. But uh, this year it's been it's been completely different. Everybody's seems to be picking up on things a lot easier and the new guys are getting uh getting accustomed to things a lot quicker because there's older guys who have already been through it so we've been here for i think this is week four i'm not sure but i think it's week four and it's going really smooth right now and uh, everybody's working hard and it's going really well and i, I saw the clip uh i think of wlex there in lexington they just came to Richmond, did a piece on your coach, who's 
he's 38 years old, which that's that's not young to you, but that is to us. He, you know, you coach a couple mm-hmm. years younger than we are, and he can still hoop a little bit. He was playing pig with the dude and, <laughs> and, and showing off the stroke. Does he get after it with you guys in practice and, and still let you know he's still got some game? Well, that's that's one thing that I think makes him a really good coach and somebody that you can really trust because when he explains how to do something on the court, like defensively or offensively, he can get out there and show you how to do it. And he does that every day. He's always out on the court demonstrating things for us, and he can still break down in a stance and guard. So when you see him doing that, it, it motivates you as a player and lets you know that, you know, maybe I should be doing that exact same thing. So I think that's a very good um, attribute of his as a coach is that he can get out there and prove that it can be done and show people the way to do it. Talking with EKU guard Cameron Carmichael, looking forward to the upcoming 2019-2020 season. The last time we talked with you, it was right at the end of your senior year. You just played the Black Bears to the 13th region title, beating Corbin in Corbin. Corbin Arena, but close enough, beat them in their own home city and whatnot. You go from that point now where you're fixing to enter into your freshman year to now being an upper-class guy. What's changed about your game? What what do you feel you've improved on from that point to now? How are you different as a player, I guess? Uh, That's a good question. so in high school, I was I was a scorer. I was the guy who took a lot of shots. I had the ball in my hands. 90% of the time on offense, I'd say I had control of the ball. But when I transitioned into college, especially at this level, where everybody can play and everybody's really good, um, I had to find ways to get myself on the floor and find ways to be able to help my team. And I knew right off the bat I wasn't going to be somebody to score 20 points a game in college at this level. So I had to... Uh, I had to do a lot of thinking and try to really find ways that I could make myself useful. So one thing that um, has changed a lot for me is I've become a better defender. I've gotten quicker and stronger in the weight room, and I've used that to uh, and applied it to my defense. So when Coach Hamilton came in, he implemented a press, and we pressed for 40 minutes a game. And when he implemented that press, I looked at that as a way as I could get on the court because if I can use my quickness and my size to my advantage – I can get up under people and pressure them defensively. So that's one way that uh, my game has changed a lot. Um, also, just continue to work, in on, work on my shot, my three-point shot, because we do try to shoot a lot of threes. So that's another thing that I've just continued to work on uh, since I've been here. But, yeah, I would say uh, defensively and my body continuing to develop and working on that has been the two main things that's, uh, that's translated really well. And I, I guess you'd have to say you're – would you say that your overall basketball IQ has has even elevated? You talked about you had to think about ways to make yourself useful. So I guess you even even the way you saw the game or even thought the game improved as well, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, especially being around uh, other players who play at such a high level and being around coaches who have been around the game for a long time. And even Coach Hamilton, you know, he was a point guard for Wake Forest and then a point guard for Marshall. So learning from somebody who played at that level, uh, I've learned a lot from him especially. And then an assistant, um, Coach Mike Allen, played at Ohio. So, I mean, everybody that I'm around has played basketball at a really high level. So I feel like my IQ has definitely went up since I've been here. Right, right. Talk about EKU guard Cameron Carmichael. Um, I know a couple years ago, I think, 
on on Twitter, the EKU, the campaign. And look, I'm not trying to use bad language when I talk about you know the Hilltoppers and, and Western. I'm not trying to you know use bad words in front of you being an EKU guy. <laughs> but they <Yeah>. they kind of <laughs> tab the rivalry with Western as being like kind of the rivalry of the bluegrass, the rivalry of the state, because so many Kentucky guys were were parts of both teams. You know, you got yourself, a lot of guys you played in the Sweet 16 against down there at Western. What is it like, and look, I know one game at a time, you can't get too high, can't get too low, all the things that coaches are saying and all the mindsets that you keep as players. What is it like when it is the days leading up to that game against Western, where you're going out there to Bowling Green or they're coming to Richmond? Is it a little bit different? Feel of flavor on campus is a little bit different. Feel of vibe among the team. How how is it when it's time to play the Hilltoppers? Well, we actually didn't play them last year, which would have been the game in Richmond. But we played them my freshman year at Bowling Green. So I can okay. speak on that being the, being the visiting team and going into an arena that I'm pretty sure was a sellout that night. If not, it was really close, and the atmosphere was incredible. Uh, they they've really built a really good atmosphere and fan base at Western, and it showed that night. Um, it, it's it's very it's electric, and you can tell that when that game is getting uh, getting close, the the energy starts picking up a little bit. You know, you can you can sense that in practice, you can sense it in walkthrough, and then you can sense it on the night of the game when you walk out to warm up and the stands are packed. But yeah, it's a really good atmosphere. It's a really good game. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great rivalry. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And you also, like, I mean, the state also kind of got their eyes open, you know, with, with Murray and everything. What was it like going up against John Morant? You know, to say that you know you went up against a guy that's the second pick in the in the draft and. You know, he was playing against your squad. Were there impressions that you got against him or, you know, ways you were trying to attack him or just the overall thought process before and after you went up against him? Uh, I mean, obviously everybody knows he's a, he's a great player. He's very, very athletic, very uh, skilled. He's a smart player. But I didn't try to change up the way that I played, especially defensively, which is what my main focus was going into each game was how to, how I could attack them defensively in the press. So I really didn't change that. I tried to use my quickness and my size to my advantage once again because he's got several inches on me. So I just tried to go in and try to bother him and make him uncomfortable. And that was that was my focus. But that was a great experience. And looking back on that, I'm sure that I'll remember that game for a while. Right, right. And flipping back to you guys' side, the colonel side of things, you got – one of your brothers, Nick Mayo, who is doing his thing uh, with the Heat in the Summer League. So I guess you guys are having a lot of fun you know, checking his games out and seeing what he's doing here lately, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. We're we're all so happy for him. I talk to him every day about how it's going. And just having somebody that's playing basketball at that level, trying to make it into the NBA, it's it's a really special time for him. So I'm very happy for him. And all of my teammates and coaching staff are excited for him as well. That is awesome. That's awesome. And he's he's having some good games and, and contributing and, and doing a lot of versatile things, scoring and getting some rebounds and, and kind of finding his way, you know, 
right. so far yeah, so long in the process in, in his young career. Yeah, he's a he's a got great size and he can shoot the three, and he's got he's got sneaky athleticism. I think a lot of people look at him and may not expect it, but he he can get up there on the rim. So I think I think he's got a good shot. I think he does. And you guys have played, you know, a lot of big teams, you know, you know uh, Kansas State last year, and uh, you played Tennessee in Knoxville. Um, the schedule came out this year, November the 8th. You go to a place that you know well. You're playing there in high school. You come to Rupp Arena to play uh, Kentucky. So uh, is everybody excited about that, just another game? How's the approach for you personally and the team as far as, you know, Still got games before that one, but when you saw yeah. the schedule pop up, what was the mindset? Um, it's it's obviously going to be exciting for me, you know, growing up in this state and like you said, playing there in high school. Um, it's going to be a it's going to be a fun one, and it'll be an experience I remember for a long time. But as for the team, uh, we haven't talked about it much, but I'm sure that we'll approach it just like any other game. Like you said, like we press for 40 minutes, so our style really doesn't change from game to game. So we'll go in and try to try to do our thing and play our style and see what happens. There you go. There you go. Um, our previous guest, Chris Walder, of course, is in Toronto, covers the Raptors, uh, fan of the team, grew up with the team. I know you're a diehard Spurs fan, so to see Kawhi go and DeMar DeRozan come, what was your thought process on – the way Kawhi's time ended, bringing in DeRozan, the direction of Pop and your Spurs, just just your thoughts on your NBA squad right now. Yeah, I was I was actually looking into a little bit of that conversation, so I was hoping that you would remember and ask me about it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Kawhi, uh, Kawhi's experience and his time in San Antonio was very, very weird as a fan. Because one minute, you know, he's my favorite player in the NBA, and I'm loving what he's doing for the Spurs. And then the next minute, he wants to leave. So it was it was a complete 180. But, I mean, of, of course, at the beginning, I was a little bitter about it, being such a diehard fan. But seeing him actually go and win another championship with a different team, like I couldn't help but feel happy for him and happy for what he was able to accomplish. But I also feel like that the Spurs did the best they could do with their situation, bringing in DeRozan and Jakob Turtle. I was really happy with what they were able to do there. And I still think that the future is bright for the Spurs. I really do. Yeah. And from a Kentucky perspective, you know, all of us, everybody still keeps an eye on what Big Blue's doing. Were you excited to see Keldon Johnson go down there, even though he kind of slipped, quote-unquote, in the draft? Yeah. I, I was. I was for sure because they were able to get him at 29, which I think I, I thought he would go a lot higher. And they need some wing depth. They need some, like, length and size and athleticism on the wing because they got guys that can they can uh, play with the ball in their hands. When you look at DeJounte Murray and Lonnie Walker, they've got guys that can do that. So I was I was happy with Kelly Johnson at 29 for sure. I think, I think that was a great pick for them. And, look, your organization, I'm a Rockets fan, but I got to give the Spurs credit as far as yeah. the success they've had over the years, sustained success. 
to see him go there with a chance to kind of just develop, you you got DeRozan there. He might, you know, be in the G League here for a little bit or he's up and down between both clubs. Uh, you got a Rudy Gay there. Uh, you got Pop, Becky Hammond, that staff. I, I mean, I think over the long term, maybe he won't blow up as a rookie, but a few years down the road and everybody will really be talking about, wow, that Keldon Johnson was a steal and look at what he's doing for the Spurs. Right. That that's the thing with the Spurs. They they don't usually play rookies immediately unless it's a Tim Duncan. Uh, but you look at what Derek White did. He uh started his his uh, rookie year. He was in the G League and then he would be on the roster a little bit, but he was kinda of bouncing back and forth, not really playing a solid role. And then in his second season was I think it was his second season last year, he comes into the playoffs and he plays a huge role for them. And he has a great series against the Nuggets. And nobody had even heard of him before that season besides Spurs fans. So, I, I mean, I would be surprised if they brought in Kevin Johnson and played him immediately in a, in a serious role consistent-wise. But, like you said, a couple years down the road, I could for sure see him being a big part of what they have. Yeah, yeah. And, like I said, I like the Rockets. Terry over there is – likes the Lakers and he's starting to get cocky again with what they've done. But we, <laughs> we still have to give <laughs> we still have to give their Spurs respect, you know, with, with Manu and Tony Parker and Duncan and uh, you know, Parker just retired. We we still gotta tip our hat to what Pop and you guys are doing down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Lakers are having a great summer, so I mean I'm sure they have nothing to complain about right now. <laughs> You've been saying cousins to the Lakers for years, Terry, and it finally happened, man. You've been saying it for <laughs> four years. Cousins and Anthony Davis to the Lakers, yeah, I've been I've been on that uh, on that wagon for a long time. So I, I, I'm I'm really glad. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about the Kawhi Leonard situation, but I'm really glad with uh, what the Lakers have done this off season. I, I think it's mostly basically mostly by luck. I'm not going to say that. Uh, the front office is as shrewd as uh, the Spurs uh, front office is, but uh, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Cam, do you, do you get to go to a lot of EKU football games or other sports? Because, I mean, you're still getting ready for your season. When football season starts a little bit early, do you get, to, you get time away from workouts to go and – Check out the Colonel football team and all that, or? Uh, yeah, I'm usually able to catch a few games. So I, I try to go when I can. It's always a good time there. So. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Well, man, it was a good time talking with you, uh, just like it was the first time we had you on. All the best this season. Uh, you know, junior season coming up. We wish you all the best. Definitely keep an eye on what you and the Colonels are doing, and, uh, looking forward to the season just like you guys are, man. I can't wait. Sounds good. I appreciate you all having me on. Yes, sir, man. Have a good rest of the summer. Keep the workouts go well and, and enjoy it, man. Thank, Thank you very you much. Again. Cameron Carmichael, EKU guard, going into his junior year. November 8th, the Colonels will be in rut to to play Kentucky. So uh, 
not going to be his first rodeo in Rupp. He was in there with the Sweet 16 with the Black Bears and just as a cool, level-headed kid, man. It's always fun talking with him and always pulling for him, for sure. Definitely glad to have him uh, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the, look, man, <laughs> the show ends up getting a little bit flip-flop because this was – these two guys were in hour two. Um, Chris Walter at seven, Cameron at seven thirty, but I was a little bit late out and about down here in Gulf Shores and got back a little bit late. So they end up being right here in the first hour, and so it just flips everything around. So uh, better late than never. Appreciate y'all bearing with me, and and it all it all is working out so far, man. And I think I had my mic muted earlier when you wasn't hearing it, so apologize for that as well. It, it's all good. We we we're making it do. <laughs> uh huh. That's it. That's it. So um, the, the biggest news, of course, still the, the sad news from Jerry Lewis in last week. His celebration of life was today up in Edgewood, Kentucky, there in northern Kentucky. Um, still a huge outpouring and reflecting on. Uh, his life and his career and how great he was on the field and what a good dude he was off of the field. Uh, I saw bits and pieces of uh, some of the goings-on with with the funeral uh, procedure, uh, but definitely, you know, condolences continually and still yet for the Lorenzo family. It was so cool to see the Louisville guys, you know, forget the rivalry it's nothing but respect. We're pitching in to help with the cost of his funeral. I think Jamon Brown and some other local Cardinals um, just – and they hadn't – a couple of guys hadn't even met him or played against him. But just, you know, they know the robbery's intense, but just respect for a fellow individual who played in the state of Kentucky, whether it's Louisville or Kentucky. The quote was amazing. Uh, to see those guys showing respect for Jay Lorenzen, um, it puts things in perspective. Uh, you're, you know, as far as the red, blue, global Kentucky, and all that, all that angst is set aside. And to see what those guys did, you got to just take your hat off uh, for that gesture also. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I tweeted as much when I saw it across social media. I said as much. Uh, that this is, um, it was a great gesture from, you know, what you would consider a, a rival fan base, if you will. Uh, but it just goes to show that we're all Kentuckians, whether by birth or this is where we play, you know, go to school, play sports, whatever. We're all kind of united in that Commonwealth. And that was a great, uh, great gesture. Uh, I, I know that, uh, Throwboy Tees have had a fundraiser for the family. Uh, I forget the figure that they tweeted out earlier that they had were able to raise uh, uh, a considerable money amount of money for the family. Uh, definitely, you, you want to see that. Um, not with not you know not with these circumstances, but it just shows you just how good and how giving uh, the Commonwealth of Kentucky is. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, definitely had to, to touch on that and, and mention that as well. Um, 
just saw Terry Wilson tweeting out, you know, should I wear the Deuce Deuce for opening day this year? And hopefully whatever red tape has to be gone through for that to happen, I think you got to go through the SEC and things of that nature. But that would be uh, an unbelievable tribute, and there will definitely be, you know, tributes of all kinds going forward, especially when the season arrives. But for Terry Wilson just to to, to uh, feel compelled to do that on his own spoke volumes as well. It's, you know, a guy coming in two decades after Jared played, but a fellow U.K. quarterback, you know, that brotherhood, that fraternity, uh, really, really special uh, for him to uh, want to even get that going himself. Yeah, and I'm not sure what all they'd have to do for a kind of a one-off situation. We talked about it last week. I'm sure that uh, Kentucky as a school, uh, we will do something, you know, whether it's his name, uh, you know, Jared Lawrence's name kind of up in the rafters, if you will, in the ring of honor or some kind of patch or something, a sticker on the helmet, helmet sticker, uh, something. Uh, but for Terry Wilson to put that out there, again, just speaks volumes uh, about the fraternity that we do have with our football players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, look, as again, there's no smooth transition or anything like that, but um, is there any soapbox stuff, anything going on with your summer that happened since we were on last week that you want to just pop off with or get off your chest? Or is it all, we're just going to dive right into Lakers, uh, which I know we're going to touch on that as well, but where, where are you going uh, to go? No, where you want to steer? No real uh, soapbox stuff, uh, just a lot. You know, it used to be we remember the, the summer was really a dead period. I think since we started doing the show, it's kind of morphed into where there's still action that's more than just baseball uh, with free agency and uh, international competitions. There's always so much to talk about, but uh, with the Lakers, I I can't, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be one of those folks to say it was no big deal to not get Kawhi. Obviously you get Kawhi Leonard with LeBron, with Anthony Davis, that's those three, and you could just about get any serviceable, you know, if you get about, you can get any serviceable NBA players, and you've got a playoff team, you've got a top seed, you know, team in the Western Conference with those three. So not getting Kawhi, obviously there's a downside to that. But I, I don't understand the people saying this was a, a, a bad miss for the Lakers. What are they going to do? They still have two of the top five or six guys in the league on the team. And if you're looking at just duos, LeBron and Anthony Davis is a pretty good duo. What I was looking at after Kawhi decided to go to the Clippers was, okay, how do we start to fill those pieces in? I love the Boogie, I love Boogie Cousins. Uh, as you said, I've been chomping at the bit to get him in uh, purple and gold forever and ever. Uh, you bring in Avery Bradley. You bring in Danny Green. 
Of course, you got Kyle Kuzma. That's a team I'm, I'm, I'm liking uh, because, and I've seen other talking heads say the same thing that I said, uh, I think last week, week before, LeBron James, of all the super-duper stars, not just super, but the super-duper, when you start talking about these guys' top five, his game is more suited to kind of pass the baton to an Anthony Davis. Uh, where as the, the miles have started to add up on LeBron's odometer, maybe he doesn't dominate the ball as much. I mean, uh, again, we've got to see it on the court, but I just I don't feel that's going to be an issue uh, moving forward. So I like this team. Obviously, it's going to take some time for these guys to gel. I love Rajon Rondo still being on the team. As enigmatic as he's been, I think he brings a lot of good things to the team. Uh, I think at this stage of his career, he can be an absolutely fantastic, you know, uh, point guard on your second unit. So there's a lot of things I'm encouraged. And, and again, I don't know if all this took place because of or in spite of the front office of the Lakers are running. You know, they kind of bungled some things, so I don't have full confidence in them. But the result is I think we've got a squad that can get the team back to uh, back to its birthright. Now, I saw the report, so I know you saw it, um, and you mentioned LeBron having a little mileage on him. The thought that maybe LeBron runs the point, I'm not sure how much, not sure it even happens, but did that kind of raise some red flags for you and you hope that maybe they don't do that or if that happens, are you cool with that? Here's the here's the thing about that. LeBron James has been playing the point guard or point forward position his entire career. You know, it, it's not the point guard like like you and I grew up with, like the Chris Paul mode. We're seeing more of the Kyrie, more of the Russell Westbrook, more of the uh, even Steph Curry, where it's the guy that's going to get you 25, 26 points a game, you know, or James Harden, but very ball-dominant. Uh, just the offense doesn't move as crisp. If you look at LeBron through his history, he hasn't played with a point guard. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you might have to go back to – Right? Uh, was it? Was it? You know, maybe Eric Snow when he was in Cleveland, if I'm thinking correctly, or not Eric Snow, but you know, Kevin Ollie. You know, way back when, you know, they did. They had Mario Chalmers in Miami. You know, Kyrie, who I have said, uh, I, 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 I always say this joke: ninety percent of his assists are simply because he's picked up the dribble and can't get a shot off. Like, I think most of his assists come by accident. <laughs> so he had – so LeBron, you know, and if you look at his assists, they've gone up the last couple of years. So he's been a facilitator. So I will he run the offense? I think so. But I think uh, you bring in Avery Bradley to defend the other point guard. But look, to, to me, it didn't, it didn't raise any eyebrows for me because – LeBron James is always a facilitator when he's on the court because you have to look at him and what he's doing. And uh, I listened to uh, Bo 
Omani Jones and Pablo Torre, I think it was yesterday or today, when you look at what the Clippers are doing, they don't have any facilitators on that squad. You pull Shea Gilgis-Alexander off that team, and you really don't have a, anyone that can really get a shot for anybody else. Not saying they won't be good, but the offense isn't going to be as easy to get. Um, so I think for Clipper fans, I think there's a little bit of a, okay, slow down, slow down. I don't know if you saw, wow. I retweeted a lot of Ice Cube t- tweets, you know, you know, the, the Clippers and Lakers, it's a, it's a battle. It's not a battle. It's not a battle. The Clippers have won one division banner they have put up in state one. And I'm old enough to remember when Doc Rivers, they covered up the Lakers banners when the Clippers are playing. So <laughs> L.A. is not a Clipper team. <laughs> and I, that, and I haven't looked it up the last four or five years. I think the Clippers have a better head-to-head record. But I understand not living in the past, but come on. Come on. The Clippers, and the, come on. It's not the same thing. I, I think it's, it's going to be it's, kind it's, of a battle. I think I think it's, it's becoming it's a going battle. To, it's going to be a battle, <laughs> and I'm not saying it's not. Those four games in Staples is going to be must-see TV. I'm not saying it's not. What I'm saying is it is it, it, it's not – it is absolutely not like 50-50 Clippers. Like that. No, 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 no. It is not. It, it, it's not. You know, it, it's like is if this you go good? to Chicago, everybody talks about the Cubs, but everybody forgets about the White Sox. You know, uh, when the Cubs were in the World Series uh, a few years ago, everybody's talking about, you know, this is the first time the World Series has been in Chicago in 60 years omitting the 05 White Sox. ESPN did it. Mm. <laughs> MLB, the official account, did it. So it wow. does, it, you know, it's, it's one thing that we got two teams here and two teams are pretty good. I get that. But there's no way the clip, there's, there's no conceivable way the Lakers are unseated by the Clippers. It's like you look at New York. You've got the Yankees and the Mets. The Mets have, what, one title, two titles? It, it's not a Yankees-Mets town. You've got <laughs> some people that are Mets fans. And Yankees, but it, New York is the Yankees. L.A. is the Lakers. Like, nothing, you know, nothing changes that. But, again, I agree with you. Those matchups are going to be electric. It is going to be, like, you know, if they, get, if they end up meeting the playoffs, we haven't seen a situation where two teams – Share the same arena in an NBA playoff series. That's crazy. And, and depending on how they get this seated has, and you know who wins, it it could end up that way. This has to be the eight o'clock primetime Christmas night game, doesn't it? It's got to be Lakers Clippers, right? Has oh, absolutely. Absolutely, and the NBA does that better than anybody else. Uh, I don't really like it because I think now they have like four or five Christmas games, which I think may be too oh, much. Yeah. Yeah. But they, but they make All day sure. Long. 
they give you what you want to see. You're home with your family. You know, uh, it was Lakers and the Heat, Shaq, you know, first game back. You know, that that's what you want to see. You know, it's not like, you know, Thanksgiving in the NFL that always seems to have Detroit for whatever reason. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's going to be a primetime game. I mean, no one could be shocked with that. Probably that will probably be the first time they meet that season. I would be willing to bet as well because mm-hmm. the, the NBA mm-hmm. is good for that. If teams in the same conference, they kind of wait. Uh, it's Christmas. The NFL playoffs are kind of at that end. You know, the football is kind of done at that point. College basketball really hasn't gotten going. Bam. Yeah, that's that's when you will see Lakers versus Clippers. Yeah, and it'll and and well, first of all, with your uh, addition of Avery Bradley, that's just kind of like Lance Stevenson without the foolishness, which is a, a a good move for the Lakers. And I know you give them shade, and you you just started shading the Clippers in your optimistic answer about the Lakers perimeter defensively speaking. Pat Beverly, Kawhi, and Paul George, that's that's quite a little trio. I mean, they might not have a facilitator yet, but that's the, you know, Montrezl Harrell bringing energy off the bench. That's that's a nice-looking squad. Uh, yeah, defensively on the on the wings, they're going to be something, I think. But the, the, the beauty of that is who guards <laughs> Anthony Davis? Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, keep, keep. I well, mean, I mean, he had to put we, Kawhi we on him if he, if he guarded Giannis. Put Kawhi on him, I guess, and hope for the best. And and and, and, and Giannis doesn't have the offensive rep. People forget, and and I'm amazed a lot of Kentucky fans are kind of forgetting how good Anthony Davis is. The last, not this past season, where the the, the Pelicans kind of played peekaboo with him. His last two full seasons, all NBA first team, you know, top five MVP vote getter. He's 28, 12, and 2.5 blocks. He can score it, he can rebound it, and he can defend. So, (laughs) and I I get it. You know, Kawhi rebuffed the Lakers. Oh, he told the mighty Lakers no, and Oh, they're making money moves and and got Paul George. That's great. Anthony Davis is a beast. And you give DeMarcus Cousins a little bit more rehab time, what we saw in the finals is not what he's about. Give him some time to get his legs. I really like what they're going to do on the inside. The perimeter defense is great, and I'm going to give it to you. Patrick Beverly, Kawhi, and Paul George. But if you're throwing out Montrez Harrell, who has been a better pro than I thought he was going to be. Let me put that out there. You know, he's right. a Louisville guy. He's better than I thought. I didn't think he'd be able to find a niche. Right. But he's absolutely that that rim-running defender kind of guy. I get that. But if that's who you're going to defend yeah. Anthony Davis and or DeMarcus Cousins with in the post, <laughs> that, that may be a long day. So, uh, again, 
I'm probably being overly optimistic about my Lakers. I'll, I'll give you that. But this is how they get back. I mean, this is the longest stretch they've been out of the playoffs ever. You know, and right now, I love the, the longest, <laughs> but love this the is the pity. longest stretch. Uh, this is the longest stretch they have been uh, out of the NBA Finals since 2009. Years is as long as it goes. Okay, I mean True. you can you can back that up because uh, this ties from '91 losing to the Bulls to 2000 winning again. Nine years is the Hey, hey, this is not what we do. Again, I've given you the numbers. The NBA turned 75. The Lakers have been in 31 finals. I mean, this is <laughs> – so this is what you, we, we talked about Toronto being bold. This is what the Lakers do. From George Mikan, the first real big NBA superstar, till now, the Lakers are all about having, having the stars. And, and this is this is what they do. So again, the Clippers Laker matchup is going to be something to watch this year, more so than usual. Uh, but yeah, to, but but to, but to consider the 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 Lake the the Clippers to be competitors with the Lakers, I mean that's 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 foolishness. That's that's I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Uh, more NBA stuff. Uh, uh, I think it was on Sirius XM today. Chauncey Billups, Mr. Big Shot, just was pretty candid about why he thought Melo was no longer in the league. You see, you know, shots of him on Instagram shooting in the gym and all that. And and Billups said basically that scoring thirty a, a night was more important to Melo than winning. You know, they were teammates together in Denver, but he thinks that's kind of the reason that Melo, in addition to kind of getting older, isn't in the league now. You know, scoring and putting up numbers and getting his was more important than winning. This is Mr. Big Shot talking freely on radio today. I I saw that, and... This is the this is the kind of the rap that Melo has had since his Syracuse days. You know, that, mm-hmm. that he just wants to get his you know, he signed for Max Deals, kinda of hamstringing the Knicks for a little bit. You know, he wanted out of uh Denver. This is this is the the knock on Melo that he just wants to get his points and that's it. You know, I don't know, I'm not gonna say what uh, Chauncey Billups is right or wrong He's in that locker room Knows way more than me All I have said About Melo is He is a throwback player Like Melo would have thrived In the early 90s Lots of isolation Right You couldn't play any kind of a zone mm-hmm. defense You had to man straight up So he was built for Get the ball, you know, jab step, move, pivot, attack, you know, that that's what his thing his thing was. As the league kind of moved away from that, or more ball movement, shooting the deep three, and, and Mello, that was never his forte. 
uh, he, he killed it in the Olympics with the three-point line because it's closer. But that, that deep two that Mello was really, really good at, I mean, just, you know, you know, top of the key on that baseline, that shot, it just got devalued. Uh, you know, he never was yep. much of a defensive player. So, right. Uh, and again, it goes back to, can you adjust? Can you, I, there's no reason he's not on the team. I, I think Mello, he's got some mileage on him. I still think he can go out and compete. But he's got to be willing to come off a bench. He's got to be willing to be happy with eight or nine points a game. You know, he's he, yeah. he's got to transition to that Vinny Johnson role where, hey, we just need to go out and score some buckets for us. Okay, cool. You know, uh, but he's not going to be able to carry a team. or he, he can't even be your second or third option. You know, you saw that in Houston. He can't be a, a strong third option anymore. And there's no shame in exactly. that. And I don't want to see people, you know, kind of dunk on Melo. You know, is Carmelo, is he a Hall of Fame? Yes, he is. Yes. Stop. Stop. Yes. <laughs> Carmelo was really, really good. The, the bad thing about Carmelo is his really, really good years were in Denver and nobody was paying attention. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. from like 05, from like 2005 to 2010, he was great. And that year, uh, was it was it 04? Maybe took taking the Lakers so. to to Game Six in the uh, Western Conference Finals. I have to look that up. But he was playing ridiculously well and went toe to toe with Kobe. So yes, you know. The last couple of years, and this is what happens when you have an extended career. Like you look at Dwight Howard. Is Dwight Howard Hall of Fame? Yes. Yes. I know, you know, how he left Houston, how he left L.A., but his uh, his resume that he built in Orlando, he was really, really good. You know, multiple defensive player of the year, multiple all-first-team all defense, and multiple all-NBA. Yeah. Dwight Howard, no matter, and I look, and he's still getting a double double, right? You know, for the uh, for Washington this past season, he's still averaging a double double. Not Washington, uh, was it Washington? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, he was. I yeah. think he was just he just left there and yeah. got traded, and somewhere gonna get bought out. I don't know where he's at right now. Right. But, you know, they were showing the thing about Kimball Walker and guys he, had, you know, had leading people he had played against. And you forget about he was in Charlotte, Dwight Howard was. He's still getting a double-double. So, yeah. Right. He'll get in the Hall of Fame. He'll, he'll be that one of those guys, like, if he had just gotten one move, how good could this guy have been? But that's a, what happens when you turn around. Just a jump hook. A jump hook. Yeah, a consistent and not, jump hook with either hand. And and, and nobody's it. asking to become uh, a king down on the block, but just a serviceable one serviceable post move. The frustrating thing mm-hmm. about Dwight Howard is, you know, he 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 just he just never took it that next step. 
And and I think that's the frustration that people want to say, oh, he didn't, he wasn't great, great, but he's still Hall of Fame. He's still going to go in. So, uh, but going back to Carmelo, Carmelo was really, really good. I just don't know if his ego will let him be that guy. And, and, and that's not a knock on him. A lot of players couldn't do that. You know, a right. lot of great players that didn't retire because of injury retired because I can still play, but I can't play. <laughs> I still can't be the man. And that's okay. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that I could have done that. You know, you're all NBA, you're all star on the Olympic team, and now I've got to come off the bench. You know, people can play like that's a, a character flaw, and maybe it is, but that's one we all have to deal with at some point. You know, I mean, my dad, before he retired, uh, you know, he's a police officer for 30 years, and he just said, so, you know, at some point, you've just got to be able to take a step back. Right. And, and not everybody can do that. So I don't say Melo's a bad guy because he wants to score. Melo's a bad guy because he can't make that transition. A lot of people couldn't. You know, we saw Michael Jordan Mm -hmm. when he was in the Wizards uniform stunt the growth of a lot of those young players because he still thought he was Michael Jordan from 1985, and it's 2001, 2002. Uh (laughs) So I don't think that's enough. Yeah, yeah, and – Dwight Howard looks like the last update. The Wizards were trading him to Memphis. Memphis was planning to waive him or forward him to another team. So that's, that's kind of where we are right now. But it is, you know, he's played for six teams, but his numbers are gaudy, like you said. And it, you don't realize it with all of the moving around and some of the little silly drama that he bought and some of the kind of maybe wanting to be too silly and not serious enough about playing, but an eight-time All-Star, eight-time All-NBA, five-time rebounding champ, two-time block champ, five-time All-Defensive player, three-time Defensive player of the year, 2004-2005 All-Rookie team, all this courtesy of basketballreference.com. So, again, when, when you actually just spit out that resume, it's, it's really way more impressive than you realize for the teams he's been on and maybe the, the results that he hasn't really gotten based on where he's been. But that is that holds up. <laughs> when, I mean, that holds up. And – and, uh, and I think we've talked about this before in relation to, to Dwight Howard, getting the, getting the uh, Magic to the 2009 Finals, I mean, beating uh, like a 60-win Cavaliers team with LeBron James in the Eastern Conference Finals. And that was Dwight Howard and like Hayden Turkaloo and like, I mean that, <laughs> you know, Jameer Nelson that had a, that had like a long career in the NBA, but but honestly, yeah. when you look at it like that, that was a pretty good 
run. You know, that was like LeBron and the 07 Cavs where you're just like, oh, my God. You look at that roster, and he was a beast. He was a 2020 guy. And so, again, we allow, you know, like you said, his, his off-the-court, on-the-court nature. He's too jovial and, and, and didn't take everything seriously. We kind of let that dictate, you know, how we think about him. But, my goodness, he was good. He was really good. Uh, and I know he came straight out of high school, but his first seven years, I know, you know you're 19, you're younger and all that, he played in all 82 games in his first five years and um, six six out of his first seven. The two years in his first seven years that he didn't play all 82 games, he played 78 games and 79 games. So, I mean, <laughs> came in, hit the ground, very durable too. I mean, that's, he missed what, four games in his first eight years or whatever. And I've talked to a lot of people because uh, that's one of the things. When you look at LeBron James, when his career is all said and done, I think one of the biggest points will be, holy cow, this guy was how durable. I mean, when you look at his minutes played, and, you know, he passed Bird Magic a long time ago as far as total minutes played. Yeah. Passed, you know, uh, Jordan, you know. To be that durable, people say, well, you know, he came in as a high schooler. Again, you're an 18-year-old going against grown men for 80 games a season? I mean, think about that. You jump from playing against high school kids, and you get plugged in. Now you're playing against the best of the best every night, and you got people going at you every night and not missing a beat. That is remarkable uh, to me when you talk to Le- LeBron and Dwight Howard playing in the post. And he came in right as there were a lot of big men that you still had to bang every night. So uh, I don't want – I said all that to, to kind of say back to Carmelo and all these guys, don't let like the kind of the end fool you. Don't let the end of a career mm-hmm. kind of, you know, and, and, and we talk about you – know, this is what I hate. This is, I guess, my soapbox. Watching all these shows, you hear people talk about legacies, right? You know, what's so-and-so's legacy going to be? Well, number one, you can't do that if the person's still playing. Number two, right. you, you want to talk about legacy. When you're telling your sons about Michael Jordan, are you talking about the Wizards Michael Jordan? Or are you talking about the multiple three-peat Michael Jordan? Are you telling your son that that I'm a Rockets fan, Akeem Olajuwon? Are you talking about Toronto Akeem, or are you talking about <laughs> the man that obliterated David Robinson and Shaq in back-to-back you know, playoff series? The, my girls exactly. know I'm a Jerry Rice fan, right? I've got my Jerry Rice jerseys. I've got my shrine to Jerry. I've got one of those little Funkos. Figurines, those popping green for Jay Wright. Newsflash, it ain't Raiders, it ain't Broncos, it's not Seahawks, it's San Francisco. So, this talk of someone doing something for legacy, look, just about every player, and we've talked about players kind of leaving the stage, 
you remember them at their peak. You don't really remember the end. I don't remember Steve Nash playing for the Lakers. I think he played 15 games. Do you remember Allen Iverson bouncing around to Memphis and Detroit? No. You remember him stepping yeah. over Tyron <laughs> Lue. That, that's what it's about. You know, when you're thinking Emmett Smith, it's not Emmett in a Cardinals uniform. No. You know, people talk about, oh, remember Willie Mays for the Mets kind of bumbling around. That's not the primary memory of Willie Mays. <laughs> that's, that's not how this works. Your, your, your last moment is not your defining moment if you're an all-time great. You look at the entire body of work. You know, when Vince Carter yeah. finally hangs it up at the end of this year, it's not, I'm not going to think about Vince Carter on the Hawks or on the Grizzlies or on the Mavericks or whoever, Sacramento. Yeah. I remember him, those dunk mm-hmm. contests. I remember Toronto Vince, even though I think Probably mm-hmm. on the net, the net version was probably a better basketball player. But I remember Toronto Vince. Right. That's how these things work. Mm-hmm. It's not the last little bit that you no, no, no. That is, it just gets frustrated because that's not how these things go. That's it. I won't jump back too because you're talking about how careers end, and one other guy who's. Maybe the sign that is not the end. Saw news that Amari Stoudemire is working out for teams, contemplating a comeback. He's 36, uh, retired. Well, and he said his retirement wasn't a goodbye. 2016, I think, was his last time in the NBA. Then went to Israel for a little bit. Said he's been staying in pretty close to basketball shape ever since. Um, But what do you think if Amari decides to come back or how will they go for him? I mean, more power uh, to him. Uh, you know, it's just rare that you see someone kind of step away and then come back. But, but more, power, more power to him is just something we usually don't see someone take extended non-injury time off kind of away and then come back. But uh, – you know, I, I think he was kind of hampered with injury, had that micro-fracture surgery back when it was mm-hmm. kind of a career-ender, the same thing that did in Penny. Uh, so he lost a yeah. lot of his explosiveness. That was him and, him and Steve Nash, when they were in Phoenix, that was as lethal of a pick-and-roll combination as Stockton Malone. Mm-hmm. Because – because last year more able to shoot. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, because you know Malone couldn't go up high. I mean, he obviously could dunk, but he couldn't finish like Amari in, in Phoenix could finish, right? So it was a little bit mm-hmm. different of a of a scenario. So uh, when you look at things that happen, injuries are part of it. I know that, but when you're having a list of guys where you're like, man, if that guy didn't get injured. What could have been? I think Amari Stoudemire is on the list. Obviously, you know we're talking NBA. Uh, Penny, I'm gonna put on the list. Grant Hill goes on that list as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you could you could make an all Hall of Fame just off the guys like, man, what could have happened? You know, without those without those injuries. Uh, but if Mari, if he can get back, and, the problem is the game has moved away from him a little bit. Uh huh. Exactly, and and he was a guy that 
you know, kind of the uh, I I used to kind of consider him and, and Dwight Howard contemporaries, two big guys, athletic guys coming in close to around the same time. And then when you would see Phoenix and Orlando play against each other, Dwight Howard would dwarf Stoudemire. And I was like, wow, that's, I didn't realize how big Dwight was until I'm looking at how small Omari, who was a big athletic guy, how small he looked next to Dwight Howard. Uh, same thing with, you know, you, you saw Clay Thompson and Kawhi going at it in the finals. You know, Clay 6'7", listed as 215, 220. Kawhi is listed 6'7", 230, but yet you see Clay guarding him, as good a defender as he is, you saw Kawhi still drawing a double team. And he just looks so much bigger than Clay. And it's, you know, it's only 15 pounds, according to the media guys, but it was just such a big difference in the size of those guys. Um, I mean, they're all huge and big to us, but it was just, just crazy how that works sometimes. Well, I, I think the biggest eye-opener for me the first time I was like, you know what, probably wasn't the media guys not accurate. I'm old enough to remember when Charles Barkley was listed at 6'8 and 6'9, right? That's what, <laughs> and that's, what they, that's what they had said. And he was great in Philadelphia. He was great. Then he had his monster 93 season, his MVP campaign. And then he's going against Jordan, who we all know, 6'6", six, six, and just that. And, uh-huh. and Jordan was noticeably taller. And for me, <laughs> I was like, look at that. Which makes – I mean, I know the power forward position isn't what it used to be, but a 6'4 power forward? Are you kidding me? I mean, yeah. what? For, 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 and talk about perception. Everybody thinks about Charles Barkley talking off the top of his head. I'm not a role model. Charles Barkley could play basketball. And he played in the Mm -hmm. 80s and 90s when the paint was the paint. For right or for wrong, it was was a man's. It was – and he was was a 2010 guy Mm -hmm. at 6'4". I mean, I remember my dad telling me, he's like, that you know that guy you know my dad wasn't always the best with things but that guy is a ball player because there's no way he should be able to do what he's doing. Yeah, you know, a six foot four player should never be top five in rebounding. Are you kidding me? Mhm. Mhm. And and getting into the pace. So and, and, again, it's all that bud. And as pudgy as he looks, even at his best. He was never in tip-top shape, even like when he buckled down and really, you know, got serious that MVP year, 93. You know, of course, in Philadelphia, he was still rotund, you know, coming out of Auburn. But he even trimmed down playing for Phoenix. And to still be kind of portly and stuff, to elevate, and explode the way he could. I remember, I think it was Robert Ory with the Rockets going in to dunk. I don't know if it was a Slam magazine or Sports Illustrated. Ory's got it cocked back with two hands. And Barkley is kind of like looking down on him and, and blocking down on Ory's dunk attempt. And this is 6'10", Robert Ory, 6'4", Charles Barkley. You would see jump balls where he's, you know, going up against a Derek Coleman or a 6'8", 6'10", 6'11", guy, 
And Barkley just shoots up and keeps on going up and up and up and up and win the tip. To be that explosive with his first and second jumps at that size and at that weight, but constantly out-athleting people that you wouldn't think he should out-athlete. He always talked about how Kevin McHale gave him trouble because he was just so freaking long. 6'11 with those yeah. arms and talked about that's the most difficult player I've ever had to go against because he's the only dude that could kind of semi-thwart what Charles was doing at 6'4 at the power forward spot. But uh, but Kale just, I mean, if he got faked out, it didn't matter because he was still long enough to bother you and still be in the way. But I, I, it's always fun hearing him talk about those battles with Mikhail and but, yeah, but what he did was ridiculous. And, you know, we, we grew up watching it from Auburn to the NBA, but it was still ridiculous. Well, and I would love to see an Auburn, you know, SEC story. When you look at Charles Barkley and, and Bo Jackson, you know, and Bo said, you know, he never lifted weights. And you could tell Barkley really didn't work out that much. Just – I don't know if we've seen two just naturally gifted athletes like that that just, you know, yeah. kind of roll out of bed and just excel against, you know, Barkley's case, people much bigger, faster, stronger. And, and again, I just say that because, you know, I see people online when Barkley is kind of, you know, giving his opinion on current players and these young kids, oh, Barkley couldn't play. Yes, the hell he could. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know I, I think that's when the first time you're getting old is when you see somebody making a stupid argument and you're like, I can't believe this. You know, people, uh, oh, Draymond could hold Shaq. Draymond could maybe hold <laughs> uh, Celtic Shaq, maybe Cavalier Shaq, maybe Phoenix Shaq. But if you think that Draymond Green is going to slow down Orlando, L.A., and Miami Shaq, get out of here. There's, there's, there's no way. There's no way. Like, I don't yeah. I don't think, you know, and, and this is the difference when, when your dad and my dad were telling us about guys they watched. We could see clips. I mean, my dad loved Connie Hawkins. You know, and we could yeah. go see clips and little glimpses. Man, you can go to YouTube. There's whole games. Of, of the guys mm-hmm. we watch, you can watch a whole game of of Shaq giving people the business. So, mm-hmm. the, the, to me, that uninformed is ridiculous. Sure. And uh, what else? We, uh, I, was having, I thought I had another thought about Barkley, but maybe not. Um, but yeah, yeah, for sure. The whole YouTube thing, yeah, you can definitely watch it. Um, Barkley was ridiculous. Yeah, might as well since we're flashing back since this is summer show too. <clears throat> we talked about LeBron. You talked about his durability when we we're talking about Dwight Howard. Flashback to, you know, 2001, 2002 when we're early mid 20s and he's in high school and. We're seeing his high school photos on the cover of Sports Illustrated. This is back when ESPN kind of started showing high schoolers games. We're seeing this kid, the king, this can't miss. 
No doubt, guy. I know you saw the whole, you know, St. Vincent, St. Mary stuff when you were coming up. And, you know, it's a no-doubter. This dude's the first pick in the draft. This guy's about to just take the league by storm. I don't know about you, but that's why why I'm asking you this. I was skeptical. I saw the whole LeBron thing coming. I got an uncle in Cleveland that used to ref and, and knew about, you know, he ref games up there and knew about LeBron, his King James coming up and all that. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's all fine, well, and good. This is still 2002. I mean, he's going to have to go up against Kevin Durant. He's going to have to go up against Carl Malone. He's going to have to do this. Tim Dunn, he's going to do this, going to have to do that. I said, he might. But I just don't see him coming in there against grown men right off the bat. And then flipped on the debut. They were playing Sacramento when he had 24 and – Eight and seven, just like he's done his whole career. Were you expecting him to do that, or were you a little bit skeptical of him actually living up to all that hype that he got? Because I was flat out skeptical, and then watched that first game, and I was like, okay, what was twenty-three-year-old Terry Brown thinking, watching on LeBron hype train? Well, that, that, so LeBron. Again, when all is said and done, the the thing negatively you can say about LeBron is, you know, maybe he flops and, you know, he's, you know, power hungry, all this kind of stuff. But we have never yeah. seen someone pegged as a 10th grader, as a 10th grader to, to be great. Sports Illustrated, the chosen one. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of high school kids on Sports Illustrated, and that's back when Sports Illustrated was still had some cachet to it. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of kids, high school kids, get that. We have never seen this. This, you pretty much have to go back to uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar being an eighth grader, winning you know high school championships in New York City, to see a kid. That some there everybody said this kid can't miss, and the kid didn't miss. If anything, we kind of undersold it. You know, I, I think we need to put things in perspective. When I talk about you know Kobe Bryant's career or this, it's okay to be number two to Michael Jordan. It's okay if when you're done playing, people say, "Oh, this guy was top five. That's okay. You know, that's not a disappointment, you know, to be in that conversation and be 1A or number two. That's okay. We just – this guy has had a bullseye on him since he was 16. And honestly, he hasn't had any of the missteps that we have seen other guys have. Yeah. And yeah. my, my – my dad and I talked I remember my dad and I we talked about it. And I'm like, I don't know if I could handle that being this worldwide phenomenon. And I'm almost forty two years old. I don't know if I can handle that right today. But to have a target on you on the court and off the court and not have any missteps. In fact, he's who we want our athletes to be. 
building schools, giving back to the community, doing these things. Mm-hmm. This is what we want, right? Mm-hmm. His legacy is going to be more than about how many points and rebounds he gets. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If the Lakers win the title this year, you know, this year, next year, let's say LeBron gets two more titles and he's 5-5 five and five in the finals. There's nothing he can do that will put him past Michael Jordan in some people's minds, right? I mean, that argument is just dead. Like, there's nothing he can do. His, his spot is secure. If you think he's the best, he's the best. If you don't think so, he's not. So he's, he's, he's made his mark. There's nothing he can do at this point to build his resume on how he fits in the hierarchy of uh, uh, NBA greats. So why not focus on the off-the-court stuff as well and, and let that be a lasting legacy uh, for you too? So that's where I come in on LeBron James is uh, it, it's more than just basketball, although he's a tremendous basketball player. Uh, you know, I hate to say the word role model. And, and, again, he's not perfect. And there's things, I'm sure there's things that people look at my life, they say, hey, Terry, you should do that different. I get that. But for the most part, he's been as close to a great superstar as you could have. You know, he commented on Trayvon Martin. He wore the shirts, you know, I can't breathe. He's been politically conscious. You know, that that picture when he was on the heat, that he got everybody, you know, wearing their hoodies. He's done that. You know, whether or not you fall on that kind of thing, you know. But he's being more political. He's being more vocal. He's, he's doing things. And I'm not saying like the Michael Jordans and, and, and Magic Johnson obviously had done some things. But, but, again, they were able to come through to the NBA to start them naturally. You know, you know, Jordan hitting that jumper as a freshman. You know, but this guy was from day one as a junior in high school. This is going to be the next best thing? Oh, that, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I knew, and I don't think we'd ever talked about it, and just you know, but we both was old enough to remember what it was like, the build up for him coming in. So yeah, I just you know, sit back and remember being convinced, and like you said, to have never gotten in trouble, to not have any kind of charges or cases or rap sheet or. Anything like that to be a family man and not have that baggage and you know, like you said the missteps that's phenomenal to be, and be able you know recognized around the world anywhere you go pretty much you know people will know who he is and and all that and becoming the brand which is what he wanted and he was able to do it so that you know everybody knowing who you are comes with that but to still not have like you said, the missteps is is incredible. Absolutely, it is, and, and and we may not see anyone else, you know, do that. You know, I I just can't think of anyone that had that hype as a junior in co- in high school. You know, I know uh, Zion had a bunch of hype, Anthony Davis had a bunch of hype. I, I get that, but uh, man, I I just don't I don't see anybody kind of equal in that. That's it. And the thought of the Lakers winning two titles with him, though, that's about more than I can stomach. But 
we, we shall see here soon, but I'm, uh, you know, I can't, I couldn't already deal with that, but if it happens, it'll happen. And, but, whew, how, how, call it what you want, them making moves and, and getting themselves back to contending, however it's happening. Uh, y'all are loving it, and, and, and everybody who's had enough of the Lakers, <laughs> are like, oh boy, hate to see all this kind of stuff coming together, and, and you know it's starting to look like you you getting it all back again right now. Anyway, you know, barring well, Rob and Jeannie messing it up, you know, it, the the only people that that don't know that about the Lakers are 15 years old and younger. If you've been watching the NBA for more than a decade, you know what the Lakers mean to the NBA. I mean, it's 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 crazy. It, it, it's just crazy when you look at you know, and and the, and the Celtics as well. I mean, the Celtics have their seventeen, but they they've only been to twenty four finals. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So y'all have sixteen. And you know, so, so they were more efficient when they got there. Is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, and, and they had that stretch of of, of ten real. But they beat the, up real close beat the Lakers a ton, and they beat the Lakers a ton head to head. That's where you know, eight, poor old Jerry eight, West eight times. couldn't just couldn't beat them. Eight, yeah, eight, eight 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 times they 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 lost to the uh, uh, the the Lakers lost to the Celtics. Before finally winning in in eighty five, yeah, I mean that, yeah, that, that, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, uh, you know Jerry West has talked about that kind of being you know he was the MVP on losing the finals with how good he played, but for yeah. whatever reason for that stretch they couldn't beat him, and 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 now it's and it's still the Lakers only done it twice. They did it in eighty five and and most recently in, in twenty ten. So it's still head to head in the finals. It's still not remotely close. <laughs> Just head to head. And then you then you get him in eighty seven too. The when baby hooked by magic. Well, what that again? Yeah, y'all, was, y'all beat Larry well. twice, Drew. Yeah, it might have yeah, been eighty five. Like yeah. Yeah, because then y'all beat the Pistons in eighty eight. But yeah, y'all got Magic right. beat Bird twice, right? Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Summer League, man. If you, I'm not a. This sounds crazy. As much as we love the NBA, I'm not like huge, hugely invested in the Summer League. If it's on, I'll glance at it. But it's, it's not like I'm like religiously watching it. But Tyler Hero is, is doing well. Uh, Kelton has had some good games. Uh, PJ is done for the summer, you know, with the foot that was hurting him while he was still. Landed on the line at UK, but uh, are you keeping up with it a lot, or how do you do you pay attention to a lot of it, or what? Well, you know, Michelle uh, uh, Michelle Brown on uh, CMR is doing kind of weekly, or not weekly. I'm sorry, nightly kind of rundowns of the guys. Yeah. Uh, which which is which is great, uh, but I've seen clips. You know, Scott Charlton has done a, a always does a great job with the clips of. Of Kentucky guys, and I, I see that, and a lot of the NBA accounts are really 
kind of sending out, uh, you know, tweets and, and whatnot for, for Hero as well. Uh, but to answer your question, no, mm-hmm. I don't really keep up with the summer league uh, because it's usually – I mean, you can get a little bit of information about what you got, but I don't think you can say definitively bust or not. You know, I think R.J. Bear mm-hmm. is like seven for – 35 or something ridiculous like that so far. And so you, you can't read into that. You know, but Steph Curry only shot like 35% his summer league. So I, yeah. I, uh-huh. what you want to look at is, is, is how a, a guy is going to prepare and that kind of thing. And uh, I don't really watch it. Uh, again, to me, yeah. it's a step below preseason. You know, you're, you're, it's like you're watching scrimmages. Right. Because, uh, again, you got uh-huh. guys trying to make the team. Uh, right. It's not, you know, it's, it's spring training. It's not, you know, you're not going against NBA levels. You're, you're going against other guys that want to be in the league, right? It's, it's young guys mm-hmm. and other guys that want to be. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. And look, more power to Michelle because this is her, I don't know, third or fourth year of chronicling the summer league for camera Mills radio, uh, getting all the stats on a nightly basis and, and updating them on the site. But yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Um, down here on vacation, it's been on. You got NBA TV and uh, I popped in a little bit on a night or two. And that's the most summer league I've probably watched in years. And it still ain't much. So I'm, I'm with you. I don't really, I just don't, I don't fool with it. You know, because it is, it, it kind of is, it is below preseason. I, I will probably watch more and probably do on a yearly basis watch more NFL preseason, especially, you know, third and fourth game of the preseason than I do summer league. Just kind of kind of the way it is. So I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. But I'm glad to see the guys doing well. I mean, that's the next step before you get to the preseason. So glad to see the clips of Scott Charlton and, and, you know, the Heat tweeting out stuff and, you know, Spurs and this kind of thing because they can only play the other two, whoever the other team rolls out there. So uh, just building confidence and, and all that kind of stuff, that's great. And uh, preseason will be here soon enough, and we want them to continue to do well in that also. Yeah, and, and what it shows you, and, and even Kelvin Johnson has showed out a, a, a little bit as well, is for all the people that say it doesn't matter where you go if you're talented, I think that's somewhat true. But it just seems like the Kentucky guys hit the ground running with what they need to be doing. The, the concept that Cal and his staff does uh, work with at Kentucky – really seems to translate really well. And you see that from comments from other uh, scouts and, and team executives. The Kentucky kids kind of have an idea of what's going on before they get there. And I know people, you know, Cal's job is mm-hmm. championship. I, I get that. I get that. I know we all want – look, Kentucky fans, we all want more banners in Rupp Arena. We all want that. We all want the confetti the last Monday of the season. I get that. But I think you can do both. You can win – as Cal has done, and you can get guys ready for that next that next step. For sure, for sure. Um, 
up in Louisville, man, I know a couple of weeks ago, it was it was the dogs and the postmen and women couldn't do their routes. That kind of calmed down a little bit because, look, I've been bit by some dogs. I wouldn't do my route either if I was a postman uh, with a bunch of dogs on the route. So is that still a big issue or is it kind of cooled off as far as that goes? Yeah, I think I think it's been resolved. I saw when they initially were going to stop delivering mail to that little section, uh, but you know people just have to be smart. You know, put your dog up. Uh, you know, was, you know, right before you get bit, everybody says, "Oh, my dog doesn't bite," and then that's the dog that always bites you. So, <laughs> oh, oh, Fluffy doesn't bite. Oh, you know, well, you know, I, now I've got bit. So. <laughs> So uh, I, yeah. I think so, but, uh, you know, it rained again today. We're almost at a year straight, 50 straight weeks right. of rain. It's ridiculous. Uh, but, but yeah, the dog story, I, I, think, it's, I think it's done. I, I think it's done. That's good. That's good. Now, look, you're more the movie guy than I am. You watch a lot more of your movie catalog movie knowledge, more expensive than mine. Uh, I like the funny stuff from, you know, like, you know, Rush Hour is my favorite movie. And that scene at the end where, you know, they're about to get Juntao up in the big conference room and money starts falling from the sky. Chris Tucker picks it up and goes, thank you, God, and puts it in his pocket. In Atlanta, there was an armored truck that blew open on the freeway, $100,000 just spilled out all over the highway, and people were just running and collecting. And Thank you, God, all over the place. Are you Chris Tucker if you're behind that Brinks truck outside of Atlanta today? <laughs> a, a couple of points there. Number one, <laughs> when it comes to... Uh, when it comes to cash money, there was a, uh, an article I saw that a maid was cleaning hotel room and came across either fourteen, seventeen thousand dollars worth of cash, and she turned it in, and she got a coin as her reward, which I thought was pretty lame. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, I would have kept it. When it comes to cash, if someone loses seventeen thousand dollars of cash, that person is going to come get their seventeen thousand dollars worth of cash. <laughs> I'm turning that money in. I'm not keeping it. I don't need that. That's number one. Number two, how does a armored truck, how does that happen? A door just fly, like how does that even, there's a lot that goes into that. Would I have scooped up the money? Probably yeah. not, uh, because I do believe uh, they do keep track of those uh, those serial numbers, and I'm sure you know there's video of people's cars on the side of the road and that kind of stuff. So in that situation, <laughs> yeah. it's not like you stu- you know it's not like you stumbled onto some some money. Uh, but this reminds me, there was a TV show called I Almost Got Away with It. It's about people that had the almost perfect crime. And so there was this group that got together. They worked for an armored car company. I forget where it was. They had set up the distraction. They had 
this perfect plan to 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 steal money. The flaw to the plan is I don't think most people understand when you have like a million dollars, even in hundred dollar bills, how much room that takes up, right? <laughs> so they had a they had a car come up that was going to take. Well, they filled up the car. Well, then they called somebody else that wasn't originally in the plan to come pull up and get it, and still left like twenty million dollars in the actual armored car. And they had sold the story. The authorities had kind of believed that there were some outside people, but then in their house they had just stacks and stacks of cash. It's like, what do you do with the cash at this point? Like, you can't do anything with it. You know, you can't walk. You can't walk into. You know, if you go to a furniture store and they're like, "Hey, this this dresser's five hundred dollars," you give them five hundred dollars cash. Cash. That's a lot of red flags right there. Let alone, you know, car and that kind of stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, when you're looking at all this cash, my thing is, what do you do with it? You know, do you slowly but surely just kind of make hundred dollar deposits into your account? I'm thinking of the, the logistics of this this newfound money. Maybe that's not the way to go in this scenario, but I, when I saw that, I'm like, no, I'm probably not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, the pictures of the people, cars, they're all right there in plain view. So, yeah, everybody knows who, who was there and who was plucking and so on and so forth. You know, they'll probably be found pretty quickly because <laughs> you know they're not going to discreetly deposit $100 in their account here and there. They've already went to the furniture store and spent $500 <laughs> on that dresser that you just talked about. Right, and, that, and, that, and, and that's always when you, when you see people that, that rob banks and, and get large sums of cash, that just raises red flags. And, you know, bank deposits, I, I forget – what it, you know how what the the threshold is, but you start making a lot of cash deposits that gets flagged. You, start, I mean, you that's know. just one of those things. Uh, you can't go into a car lot with a cash full, with with the whole thing full of cash. Nobody does that. Yeah. So if you're going to exactly. get cash, you got to figure out how to move it and what to do with it. So no, I wouldn't have picked up uh, anything on the side of the road. That's right. I'm um, real quick too before you come up. Four minutes left before we go off the air. Go mention again, Keith Madison's Baseball Clinic is tomorrow at the baseball and softball fields in Benham, Kentucky, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. All the kids that show up from Cumberland, Benham, Lynch, Harlan County, Lecture County, from Whitesburg, Jenkins, Neon, come on over to Benham in the morning. Everybody's welcome. There'll be some major leaguers there. There'll be trading cards, baseball cards for all the kids. There'll be Hunt Brothers Pizza after the clinic's over. So instruction clinic, Coach Madison is uh, teaching the game to anybody that's available and able to make it tomorrow. Uh, Somebody on Facebook said, well, what if you live in Pike County now if you used to live in Harlan County? And and Coach Common himself, you're more than welcome. So, I uh, hope they have a good crowd tomorrow at Benham uh, for the clinic. He came on with us a few weeks ago and was uh, letting us know he was going to be getting it all going. And now that time is here. Tomorrow, July the 11th, 10 to 12, the Benham 
Little League, the Tri-City Little League baseball and softball fields right there in Benham, right off Highway 160 uh, between Cumberland and Lynch. So hopefully everybody has a good time, gets to meet Coach Madison, um, an even greater man than he is a coach, and, you know, it's proven by what he's doing tomorrow. He's done it many times in Harlan County and Dominican Republic and giving back so many times in so many ways. So enjoy the clinic tomorrow. Uh, Sunday we saw the U.S. Women's National Team bring home the trophy. They defeated the Netherlands TB, um, won the match with France, which was the collision course between the two best teams. They got past that, beat England, beat the Netherlands, uh, lived up to the hype, if you will, in winning the Women's World Cup. Yeah, great for the women. Uh, it was absolutely ridiculous. They played with a lead in the World Cup 74% of the time, which is insane. It was tied, I think, for another 15%. Like, they were down less than 10%. They were playing from behind. That's what? So... <laughs> Uh, probably as dominant a run as we have seen on an international stage uh, from an American team. Uh, I would put it up there with the 92 Dream Team, except I think that uh, the talent pool is a little bit deeper with the Women's World Cup. I mean, we didn't see anybody taking right. any pictures with uh, uh, Megan Rapino and and all those ladies. Um, so you got to tip your hat. To, to what they did. I mean, it was fantastic. There have only been eight women's World Cups. The U.S. has won four, and I think runner-up, and at least one more, maybe two. Phenomenal. Love it. One point I do want to bring up, I listened to Omani Jones, the, the Right Time podcast, and he had an interesting question that made me think. The women's World Cup team is getting a bunch of love, as well they should, deserve. Best in, the, best in the world, and they're American. But what about a team that is equally as good and maybe even more dominant on a national stage, and that's the women's basketball program for the United States, who hasn't had anything less than a gold medal going back to 1992. Like, they haven't dropped any games in international competition. I, I, no, I take that back. I think it's a there was one in those six, I think they lost. But they've had a dominant stretch, and they don't get the same kind of warm and fuzzies. I mean, I, I don't know what the reasoning is, but it just it feels different. But anyway, the Women's World Cup, the, women's, the, the women deserved it. It was well done. Uh, you tip your hat to them to, to be able to do that. And they went in with pressure, right? They, they're supposed to win. The women's team has now joined the women's basketball team, and the men's basketball team, and I would probably even say, you know, maybe gymnastics as those teams that for America, you, we shouldn't lose those. You know, even track and field, I think to some extent, like, we, have, we shouldn't lose on the international stage in these events. And I think the women's soccer team has, has jumped on board. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, congratulations to them. Um, like talked about LeBron and like they, when you're favored and can still 
execute and carry it out. In like 2012, Kentucky, they were the favorites all year. 1996, the favorites all year, and to still deliver with that added pressure, uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, congratulations to the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, American League won the All-Star Game. So, you know, being a National League guy, I hate to see that. AL won two to nothing. It was up in Cleveland. Um, due for the Mets. Pete Alonzo won the home run derby, so congratulations to them. The Mets need something positive to happen, so there's that. That's about all that's going to go their way the rest of the season. Uh, my dude Ronald Acuna showed out a little bit in the first round. He beat the dude for the Pirates. Vlad Jr. showed out as well, but then Alonzo ends up winning the whole thing for the Mets. So, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be the high point of their year. And so congratulations to them for that. And baseball will be starting back. The SPs are tonight. We're not SP guys, but Tracy Morgan is hosting, so hopefully there will be some laughs for everybody in attendance. Yeah, like I said, I'm not much on uh, award shows for sports teams. It's kind of weird because the whole thing with sports is you have definitive winners and losers. So I, I, I don't get it. Now, not to say there been, hasn't been some moments, Jim Valvano's speech, right. uh, Stuart Scott's speech, uh, I think recognizing yeah. the, the, the the victims of Michigan State uh, last year. I think there's some good to it, but I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I mean, favorite professional basketball player. I mean, the NBA already awards an NBA uh, MVP award. You know, the NFL already has an MVP. Mm-hmm. You know, college football already has the Heisman. Like, I don't – I don't know, but that's just – that's just me. Maybe I'm getting old. <laughs> well, well, we'll get old on that take together. But hope everybody has a good time attending or watching. We had a good time talking about uh, UK NBA and all of that this evening. Thanks to Chris Walder and Cameron Carmichael. Uh, hopefully, it starts raining for you and you can have a a hot dry period of summer, a more traditional type summer where it's just hot outside and you're waiting for it to cool off in the evening to go out and do something. That's what kind of summer you need. So hopefully it does stop raining and um, you can be a little precipitation free up there for a little bit. I'm hoping. <laughs> well, thanks again, man. Enjoyed it. Sorry for being late. Appreciate you putting up with it. Glitches and technical difficulties. Thanks again to our guest. Looking forward to it again next Wednesday. Catch Talk Wednesday. Brandon Hardy Radio Network. Vinny Hardy and Terry Brown. BlogTalkRadio.com. We'll be with y'all next Wednesday. And we'll do it all again. Football season's getting close. The Lakers are getting good. I'm happy about the former, not the latter. We'll see y'all next week. Take care, everybody.